0: Let me start out this morning by sharing a quote by Max Anders. Anders writes this, Spirituality is nothing grand, romantic, or impossible. It is submitting to the supremacy of Christ which will transform our character and revolutionize our relationships. This morning we turn our attention to how the gospel is to mark our marriage relationships and family relationships at home where our true colors cannot be hidden. So, would you turn your attention to God's word one more time with me? This time, as we read from Colossians, where we've been studying together, chapter 3, starting at verse 17. And I'm going to read all the way through 24. This is the word of the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, his people. I'd like to make some introductory comments that I'm hoping will serve us well as we walk through this text. So I've probably got about eight things I want to share just as introductory comments. The first is this. Reading through this text this morning, we heard Paul address every relationship of what would have made up the home in the church, the homes, represented in the church of Colossae. He speaks wives and husbands, fathers and children, slaves and masters. Now we touched on slaves and masters last week, so we'll limit our scope this week, but I did want you to see the cohesion of all of that, what would have been the family unit living in the home in the century and context and culture with which Within which Paul is preaching or writing. I want to challenge you to view each of these roles through the lens of Paul's context and culture first. So that's our beginning point, where three of the four that were present in the home would have been looked at and treated as owned property, subject to the harsh demands of an exacting patriarch. Then consider what Paul is teaching to the new Christians that were saved within this Colossian culture and now are a part of this Colossian church. Their salvation and their union with Christ altered everything in their lives. Every relationship, every desire, every motivation. And consider how radically different. Their new way of interacting with each other within their home and seen outside of their home would have appeared to those observing outside. So as you can see from what we've read, still making some comments here for you. Each of the relationships touched upon in our passage has a reciprocal side that receives equal instruction from Paul. In other words, He doesn't hammer on one at the expense of the other. He addresses wives, then husbands, then children, then fathers, and then as the passage goes on, bondservants, and then their masters. And he does so equally. Among each pairing that Paul presents, you and I, we are wise to notice the common element present within the commands given to the persons that are called upon to submit and obey. In other words, wives, children, slaves. And the common element in each of them that were being encouraged and commanded actually was that they would see their command to obey and to submit as being expressed unto the Lord. It's a common denominator in each of the references Paul makes to each of those three. Verse 18, to wives, he says, as is fitting in the Lord. Verse 20, to children, for this pleases the Lord. Verse 22, to bond servants, and we, we interchanged that word last week with slaves. Verse 22, fearing the Lord. So for wives, children, and slaves, that remembrance in in his culture and in ours, it has the power to fuel the motivation to joyfully accept this honoring, this God-honoring posture. For husband, father, and master, all of which are the same person in in the home, right? Lord willing, it'll serve as a humbling reminder of the representative and ambassadorial role that he is called to occupy in his home. Finally, this is my last little introductory thing. To each pair, wives, husbands, fathers, children, he issues a succinct command. He elaborates in Ephesians, but not here. So he issues a succinct command and then offers a subsequent motivation. Command, motivation. What God commands of us, he will empower in us through Jesus. So I want to spend a few minutes looking at each of these as we walk through the text. And let me encourage you to be praying for the grace, and it is a grace indeed, to joyfully see these instructions as good as you desire to live counterculturally, as Paul was calling the Colossian church to do so in, his, in the first century context that he was living in, in even your most foundational relationships, and to do so. For his glory. Whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and Father through him. Can we pray together just for a moment as we jump into this text? Heavenly Father, you are good and gracious and we are grateful for your care for us such that you design good things for us. You instruct us in the way we should go so that it brings you great glory, so that it gives good things to us in the way in which we order our family and walk in a unity that is not only ordained, but made possible through your spirit. And Lord, this morning as we continue to walk through this brief passage, would you help me make it clear? Would you give us all ears to hear and hearts to receive that which we need to learn from you this morning by your grace in Jesus' name? Amen. Notice. Marriage relationships. Are to be altered upon the altar. Marriage relationships are to be altered upon the altar. First, a word to wives, and I would add, and those who aspire to be one. You'll notice the command. Here it is again Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. The word submit, it, it kind of conjures chills and goosebumps up and down our spines as it, as it comes with this connotation of being diminishing and demeaning. But, but for weeks, we've been studying about our identity in Christ. And we've been studying together how that is to be celebrated above all things. And we've, we've, we have rejoiced in the fact that in Christ... There is not Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised barbarian Scythian slave free but Christ is all and in all Hear this next thing clearly As it relates to our status and identity our value and our worth, we are all one in Jesus. Having been generously loved, divinely chosen, and made to walk in a newness of life. But we are never to equate status and identity with role. Submission is one, per, one equal person's, in light of how I've just described it, one equal person's voluntary acceptance of the authority of another equal person. Exemplified by Jesus when he emptied himself of his divine rights in submission to the will of the Father. The Christian wife that submits to the lead of her husband. Notice this, she, she fits herself in the complementary and completing role of, of helper that was ordained and designed by God from intentional language, the beginning. Now we've looked at the command, now let's look at the motivation. The language of verse 18 continues to say this, as is fitting in the Lord. In everything, the gospel redirects things toward the way they were intended to be. Even when that redirection seems upside down to the sway of culture. William Hendrickson writes in his commentary on Colossians, these words, I think they're very helpful. Quote, the tendency to follow was embedded in Eve's very soul as she came forth from the hand of her creator. End quote. Until the fall. And after the fall, everything, and I mean everything, was altered negatively. Only the cross of Christ could alter it back, and I mean everything, could alter it back to its beautiful and harmonious design. When Adam and Eve sinned against God and became subject to the curse, the harmonious joy of distinction but oneness Partnership, but headship. Unity, but authority was forever marred. The institution of marriage would still exist. But as a result of the fall, instead of fitting submission, there would be a nagging inner angst from her as she desired his role of authority and position of leader. That's what we see from Genesis chapter 3. But biblical submission is God-orchestrated design for good. A design that is, and here's the language of verse 18, that is fitting in the Lord. Meaning, Being in harmony with God's design and will as revealed throughout Scripture. A word to wives. Let's drive on through our text and see a word to husbands, and I will add, and those who aspire to be one. First, the command: Husbands, love your wives. It strikes me when I try to consider these family instructions that come in bullet order through the lens of the Colossian context and culture that this command may have been more radical and countercultural than the previous command to wives. Consider this. The love a Christian husband is to have for his wife by God's grace and as a result of his willingness to surrender and daily put off his old self and put on the characteristics and attributes of Christ, which we've just talked through, and then he bleeds right into this, right? But the love that a husband, a Christian husband has for his wife is to be a reflection of the deep, Sacrificial love Jesus had and has, look around you, for the church. I would reference only two verses from Ephesians chapter 5. The entire section gives a beautiful, elongated commentary on this sacrificial love. For now, just let me read these words from chapter 5, verse 25 of Ephesians and 32 where he writes, husbands, love your wives. And then he, he clarifies how. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then he goes on in verse 32 to write this. This mystery is profound. And the mystery he's talking about is how the, the gospel-shaped marriage of man and woman by God's design is to serve as a commercial and an illustration for the gospel relationship between Jesus and us, his bride. That's the mystery. But he said this mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So we see this command. And now for the second time, we look further to the expression. Notice what Paul writes here in verse 19 as he concludes this thought to men. I'm sorry, to husbands. And do not be harsh with them. Along with the command to love their wives, Paul directs them in what to avoid, which would have gone against what he had seen all his life up to that point in the first century and what he was experiencing before or what he was fleshing out before he trusted Christ. But Paul directs them in what to avoid or turn to a positive spin, a way to express his love for his wife. Men, I want to share a piece of advice that my dad repeatedly offered me in how to relate to my bride. I do so in front of his bride and I do so in front of mine who my entire married life that he was alive, he he always brought it up as if he had never told me this. But he would look at me and say, son, I'd say, yes, sir. Treat your wife like fine china. And without fail, I would offer the same rebuttal to him every time he gave it to me. I'd tell him that, you know, Dad, Shan and I were given China as wedding presents. But it rarely sees the light of day, Dad. In fact, it's stored in boxes in our closet. And it's only pulled out on special occasions. I would ask, is is that, I'm just asking, is that how I'm supposed to, To interact, am I supposed to put her in a box and put her in the closet? (laughs) He'd always tilt that eye toward me. But I knew then, as I know now, what he meant. Harshness of voice, harshness of demeanor, even harshness of posture, Has no place in the way that a Christian husband leads his wife. Husbands, hear this. Offer yourself to your wife as a man of understanding, which will be a learning process for you for the rest of your life. And I say that without joking. But offer yourself to your wife as a man of understanding, one who is considerate to her needs and one who honors her in every way. Spend the rest of your life learning her and all of your efforts serving her so as to be a tool that God uses in her sanctification in Him. We have heard a word to wives and we have heard a word to husbands. Now let's turn our thoughts and focus to the parental relationships which are to aim at intentional targets. Verse 20, a word to children. As you look down on your Scripture here in verse 20, you'll notice, children, obey your parents in everything. Children of all ages in this room, I realize that, Counts for all of us, but those who are still living within the, under the authority of your parents' home. Children, notice how Paul provides a measure for the lengths at which Christ calls you to obey your parents. See what it says? Obey your parents in everything. I mean, certainly guys, listen, young people, children, you're not expected to continue to obey if your parents are leading you to sin. But the assumption of Paul as he's writing to Christian parents, and the assumption that I'm adding onto that as I address your parents and myself, is that your parents aren't leading you to sin, but are seeking to direct you train you in obedience as they seek and desire to bring you up in the discipline and instruction in the Lord. But kids, having a heart to joyfully obey your parents in everything, it really is one aspect of honoring your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Paul references this even in Ephesians chapter 6 when he says that it may go well with you, this promise affording the children who honor their parents, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. I'm mindful that each of these relational aspects Wives, husbands, husbands, wives, children, father, father, slave. All of these things could be talks in and of themselves. But as Paul has given a sentence, uh, I'm carrying that same posture throughout this morning. But with a lot being left unsaid about this God-honoring and life-giving command, children, youth. Let me point out the motivation that Paul offers along with this command. It's very clear. The motivation is this. For this pleases the Lord. We can fast forward through the motivation of the bondservant and slave who saw his work as unto the Lord, not just as eye-pleasers. So obeying your parents in a manner that pleases the Lord is far more than doing it in front of them, but it is a heart posture whereby you say everything in word or deed I choose to do in the name of the Lord Jesus. As I just mentioned, and I'll just reiterate it again, the fact that God is pleased with this obedience is clear if only by the fact that he offers this blessing along with the command right in the midst of the Old Testament. Kids, you don't have to answer this, but if you're with me even at this point, do you want to please the Lord? I know you do. Start now by obeying your parents in everything and realizing that in your flesh and even in your best moments, You can't do this perfectly, nor can you do it apart from Christ doing it through you. This reciprocal, I told you each of these relationships has a reciprocal in the passage, but this reciprocal to this last instruction we'll look at in this text um, is directed to fathers. It comes again with a command and a motivation. So look at this last verse, verse 21, fathers. Do not provoke your children. To provoke means to stir up. In our house, in our home, we have a nonverbal cue trying to coach whoever is in the process of stirring it up. And sometimes it's me. We'll get the cue of... This, this would be a negative verbal cue to, hey, you're stirring it up, and I don't think you're stirring it up the way you want to. To provoke means to stir up. And dads, if you're going to be a stirrupper, upper <laughs> I hope it's okay that I make up a word like stirrupper. upper Make sure it's for good. And not for evil as is pictured right here. The Bible offers pictures of both kinds of stirring up. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 2, An example of good stirring up is pictured. Listen for it as I read it from the NIV. It's a passage where Paul is affirming the generosity of a group. And he writes this, "'For I know your eagerness to help, "'and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, "'telling them that since last year, "'you and Achaia were ready to give.'" Here it comes. "'And your enthusiasm has stirred up most of them, to action, the lives and actions of those in a kai stirred others up to do likewise. Back in the '90s, Jack Nicholson was in a movie, and his character had a quote that I've never forgotten. To the lady he was falling for, he said you make me want to be a better man fathers apart from christ in us we can't live well enough to stir our kids up in their walks with and before god but by his grace it can be our aim and and here's here's the opposite of stirring up for evil We can seek to foster an atmosphere in our homes that makes obedience an easy, desirous, and natural matter. The opposite of stirring up for good, and I'm jumping to the negative here, is provoking to anger by constantly beating your kids down. And constantly making them believe that they will never measure up nor live up to graceless standards. That's the picture here. Fathers, do not provoke your children. And then you see the motivation. I think it's obvious, but Paul puts it in black and white here for us so we don't miss it. Lest they become discouraged. Sullen in heart. Head down going through the motions with and before us, knowing that I'm never going to get this right. Take care that your kids don't see joyful obedience as impossible. Listen, we've we've looked at these four verses, multiple relationships, wives, husbands, children, fathers, Last week, we looked at bondservants, masters, who in this context would have been the fathers of the household. And we've heard these commands and these motivations from Paul, and it would be easy for all of us to read through these and even hearing me preach through this message, these household duties, and sense the need for us to throw up our hands in discouragement and sign up for the I am a miserable failure support group. When we were saved, as was the case when the Colossian church members were saved, God gave us a new purpose. A purpose that flows from thankful hearts and Lord willing to our families and to our homes and from there to every platform that he provides. I want you to be encouraged this morning because he's not only given you that new purpose, He's graced you with a power that is not your own to carry out His commands. What He commands of you, He will empower in you through Jesus. Be reminded of this gospel truth. The pinnacle of God's mercy and grace was put on full display when He sent His Son to bear the punishment that our sin demanded forgiving the sin of all who by faith trusted in the finished work of Jesus. Remember from all of our walk through the study of Colossians, Colossians 2, verse 9 and 10, specifically, in him, Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you, believer, you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And not only that, Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. You who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. In Christ, redeemer men, ladies, young people, In Christ, you have every reason to have the same confidence to say what Paul said to the Philippians. I can do all things through him, Christ, who strengthens me. All things to include wives, by his grace, submitting to your husband to the glory of God Husbands, by His grace, loving your wives like Christ loved the church to the glory of God. And children, by His grace, obeying your parents to the glory of God. And fathers, by His grace, not provoking. But encouraging your children to the glory of God. I want us to bow our heads and pray for the grace and strength to walk in what He has provided to enable this countercultural expression of life and love through thanksgiving. And what He has provided is His Son Jesus, who has made us new, and His Spirit who empowers us to do this very thing. And also with your heads bowed and your hearts bowed before Him, I want to encourage you in the confidence that though we may want to sign up for the I'm a Miserable Failure fan club or support group, There is grace and forgiveness provided by God, your faithful Lord. If you confess even our failures, which he wants us to throw at his feet, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Dads, lead the way by owning up to your shortcomings in front of your kids. It will not cause you to lose face it will cause you to gain hearts. Wives, even when it may be the last thing in that moment that you want to do to come up under the authority of your husband, do so by grace and for His glory. And children, though everything in you is demanding the space and right to carve out your own path, Remember that your parents' instruction is a good gift to you by His grace, obeying everything for His glory. And may we, as we leave our homes, the laboratory of our faith, may we express the goodness of the gospel by the way folks see us interact for His glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your grace. You are indeed a good and gracious King. And we confess our need for You to do through us in Jesus what we are incapable of doing on our own. But Lord, we want to. We realize we have been saved by You and united with You, Jesus. And as a result, we want our lives to be a reflection of You, Your characteristics, Your attributes, your grace in spite of us. So we need your help. We ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?